Hi, I'm Salima Shivji, and I'm a reporter here in Mumbai. We're gearing up for the biggest election in history right now, with Prime Minister Narendra Modi looking very likely to win his third term. And whether you love him, hate him, or know nothing about him, there's no denying Modi is one of the most powerful political figures out there right now. Learn why in the newest season of Understood. Modi's India Understood, available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We will support Ukraine as long as it is necessary. That is to say, we hope that the war will end quickly. Also because military support, support with weapons, will enable Ukraine to defend its country. This is German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. He's speaking here during a visit from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who just wrapped up a diplomatic tour of Europe. He made stops in Italy, France, the UK, and Germany, asking for more support in Ukraine's war against Russia. Zelensky's trip to Berlin happened just as Germany committed another 3 billion US dollars to Ukraine's war effort. That is its biggest contribution so far and brings the total amount it's given since the start of the war to about double that. Germany is now one of Ukraine's largest suppliers of weapons. After much pressure and anticipation, there are reports in the German media the country will send Leopard 2 battle tanks to Ukraine. But that hasn't always been the case. This is a pretty big jump from the really cautious way the German government responded to the Russia-Ukraine conflict early on, and a break from its long-standing policy of not sending weapons to conflict zones. It's also part of a shift in the country's defense and security policy. For decades, it's largely been about avoiding military conflict, an approach that has a lot to do with a deep national shame over the country's role in the Second World War, and that's become very much a part of the German national identity. All the weapons from the West side doesn't make a difference. It is putting gas in the fire. When you support a war with weapons, you are on the wrong side. The war in Ukraine has put all of that to the test. This week, we're going to look at how that happened, at Germany's growing role in the Ukraine war, how the conflict has fueled a massive investment in its own military, and why that brings up complicated feelings for so many Germans. My first guest is Ulrika Franke. She's a senior fellow with the European Council on Foreign Relations. I'm Tamara Kandaker, and this is Nothing is Foreign. Hi, Ulrika. Thanks so much for doing this. It's uh, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. So, Ulrika, you've been working in defense and security policy for the last 10 years, and you host a German-language podcast about that. Can you tell me about what German attitudes were like towards things like militarization and intervention in foreign conflicts before the invasion of Ukraine? Sure, absolutely. So I would say that the German approach, German society's approach, um, really was quite exceptional, 
with regard to, to security and defense topics in the sense that most people did not want to think about or talk about anything related to security and defense and specifically anything related to the military. Um, the military was seen as, well, something that you didn't really want, maybe didn't even need. And I really kind of experienced this this very often in my day-to-day my -day work. I mean, just, for example, arguing in favor of equipping the Bundeswehr, the German armed forces, um, better because there have been reports about, you know, the Bundeswehr not having enough equipment or, or, or you know, equipment that was old or obsolete or anything like that. Suggesting that in the German media usually got you a few, you know, angry emails or messages about warmongering and, and do you want to wage a war? Like, what is this for? So, yeah, there was quite a big rejection or, or at least skepticism um, towards the the military and all things security and defense. Interesting. And that seems to kind of line up with how the German government reacted to the prospect of Russia invading Ukraine initially, right? There was a reluctance to send arms, and it seems kind of like the government was holding out hope that things would de-escalate. I mean, you're right that most Germans did not expect Russia to actually start this war, despite the fact that there was already the invasion in, in 2014. So that was that was definitely a, a surprise and, and most certainly a, a shock. To some extent, it probably was a, we don't want this to happen, so we don't believe it, it will happen um, kind of kind of thinking. Uh, but yeah, it did happen. And, and the shock to the system was very palpable. And at least the political realm very quickly responded to that. And just three days after the the Russian invasion on the 24th of February, three days later on the 27th, you had the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz standing up in front of the German parliament and giving the now famous speech on the Zeitenwende, so the turn of times um, uh, that, that the Russian invasion basically uh, started. Ladies and gentlemen, based on the change that Putin's attack means for us, let me say it heralds a new age and what needs to be done to keep the peace will be done and Germany will do its bit. Let me say that clearly. But it's not enough just to say it, because for that, the German armed forces need new, strong capabilities. Yeah, yeah. And that speech was characterized by a lot of people as like a very historic shift for Germany. In that speech, Olaf Scholz said that Germany would send anti-tank weapons and, and surface-to-air missiles to Ukraine. Do you remember that day? Like how, how big of a deal was that? Oh, it was a big deal. Um, so just listening to the speech, I was so struck, you know, in like half an hour or so, he went through a list of topics and just kind of went through it and said, okay, we're going to do this and this and this and check and check and check. Weapons deliveries to Ukraine was one of these topics. But before the invasion started, uh, Germany did not want to send weapons to Ukraine out of a fear of an escalation. And also because there was or is a kind of self-imposed rule that says that Germany should not deliver weapons into um, conflict zones or into areas where there is a kind of risk of escalation. Um, and so, yeah, on the 27th, um, Olaf Scholz decided to to change this this approach. Uh, this was one of the things, but also there were there were other things um, indirectly related to the war. So, most importantly, um, he announced a 100 billion special fund to finance the Bundeswehr. 
100 billion is, is, is quite a bit. That's about double the, the German yearly defense budgets. That is an extra special fund that, that he and his government created. Uh, he announced things like the, the, the buying, the acquisition of American F-35 aircrafts, specifically to continue Germany's role in NATO's nuclear sharing, um, the acquisition of armed drones, also changes that aren't directly related to security and defense, namely changes in Germany's energy policy, you know, just getting less uh, energy uh, from, from Russia. So all of these things, yeah, he announces in kind of one speech. And so it really was an important moment and an important uh, announcement that really showed that, yeah, a, a new time in a way had, had begun. So since then, the government has contributed a lot in military aid to Ukraine. Like just over the weekend, um, there was a commitment of another $3 billion. And uh, the German uh, government has said that it's going to provide all the help it can for as long as it takes. So what role does Germany have now in the Ukraine war? In, in the alliance, of course, you know, the United States is the most important supporter of, of Ukraine politically, but most importantly, you know, militarily and, and with regard to to donations. But but Germany now, when you look at the kind of rankings, um, which one to be critical of anyway, but but these kind of rankings, you see that, that Germany is providing an enormous amount of, of aid, including, you know, financial and humanitarian. And there are, of course, lots of refugees, Ukrainian refugees in Germany as well. But this also includes a quite substantial um, part of military contributions. Zelensky was just in in Berlin, among other European capitals, and really made the point of, of thanking Germany for for this support. And this is important because for many many months, I mean, the kind of first year of the the war, Germany was very much in the focus of uh, criticism, and mm-hmm. uh, because it was it was seen it wasn't doing enough, it was doing things too slowly. But I think by now this really has shifted, and this. 2.7 billion euro uh, uh, package uh, of military aid that you mentioned that just um, w- that was just announced, which is the single biggest um, uh, package of military aid from Germany to Ukraine, is a is a testimony um, of that. But like you mentioned, this has happened kind of gradually and step by step, and the government was proceeding pretty cautiously, right? From from what I understand, like with the Leopard Two um, combat tanks, they initially didn't want to supply Ukraine with those. Now, defense ministers from dozens of states, including NATO countries, will be meeting this Friday at Germany's Ramstein Air Base. The gathering comes as pressure mounts on Berlin over what military equipment it is and isn't willing to supply Ukraine. Chancellor Olaf Scholz is under pressure from EU allies to allow the export of Germany's Leopard tanks, even from third countries. Can Can you just talk a little bit about the thinking behind that and uh, why they took a while to, to do that? Yeah, absolutely. This was really a big discussion in, in German society and in, in, in Europe. And, and the German political realm often kind of said that, well, combat tanks, heavy combat tanks would be one step too far or would be an escalation. And this is not just an, a fear of escalation of the war in general, but especially nuclear escalations. The fear that Russia will escalate in a, with nuclear weapons if it, mm-hmm. if it yeah, feels to threatened is something that's very present in, in, in Berlin and still is. That's number one. Number two, historical, the historical element of this. Um, also something that not everyone outside of Germany understands. 
But history looms large for Germans when it comes to anything military, right? Um, and specifically the Second World War. Now, of course, you know, the situation is very, very, very different. But nevertheless, you know, German combat tanks killing Russian soldiers is something that creates, you know, real headaches or heartaches um, in, in German society. And then finally, and in a way, this is, this is what then in the end made the difference, was the German policy of not going alone, not being the country that goes ahead, but rather, you know, only going together with allies. I just want to spend some time talking about the roots of the German reticence towards things like military spending and sending weapons to conflict zones. Uh, that's something that you wrote about even before the Ukraine war, right? Can you tell me about where you think that comes from? I've been working on, on German security and defense for, for, well, at least a decade, but I've always been based outside of Germany. Um, and I think in a way, this is important to kind of understand where I'm coming from. Because there is a bit of a of a group thing in the German debate and the German mindset that I guess is a bit easier to spot from outside. So there are two moments that are really important to understand the kind of German mindset pre this war, but also remains in case to some extent. Um, the first important date, of course, is the Second World War. Um, and the second important date is 1989 18, or 1990, so the end of the Cold War, a reunification of Germany. and what we like to think of as the beginning of the end of history. Um, so this idea that after the end of the Soviet Union, the kind of geopolitical conflict and competition was over, that one system had basically won, I mean, the kind of liberal, capitalist, um, democratic systems, everyone would become like us. So like, you know, Germany and Western Europeans and, and the West. Um, and that this meant that military power just wasn't really necessary anymore, right? Um, and I, I've written about this mainly from the view of a you know, so-called millennial, i.e. The, the generation that, that was born either you know, just before or, or after this, this fact. And, and we very much grew up with this belief that, yeah, all of, all of these, these conflicts and military conflicts and geopolitical competition was a thing of the past. It was almost boring. What we considered normal because we grew up in it, this time of indeed geopolitical calm. I mean, the history never ended. This was, you know, never true. But there was geopolitical calm. There was the big ideological um, competitions had at least paused for a while. And when this changed, and this didn't change on the 24th of February 2022, this changed definitely in 2014 when, when Russia annexed Crimea, but also before that. We didn't realize it and we didn't want to realize it. And this is why we're struggling, why we're still struggling, all of us in a way, with, with this new reality, um, because it, it felt, it feels so, so alien. Nala Ayed, host of Ideas. In this age of clickbait and online shouting, Ideas is a meeting ground for people who want to deepen their understanding of the world. Join me as we crack open a concept to see how it plays out over place and time and how it matters today. 
From the rise of authoritarianism to the history of cult movies, no idea is off limits. Ideas is on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. The war in Ukraine has forced Germany to confront a new reality where there is a high stakes geopolitical conflict playing out right on its doorstep. That means reconsidering the mindset that's prevailed in the country around foreign intervention, defense, and security since the first event that Ulrika mentioned, World War II, which is something that comes up constantly in German discussions around this. I mean, as someone who has come up in the German system as well, I can tell you that World War II is definitely ever-present. Bernhard Blumenau is a German foreign policy historian. You learn about in, about in school, uh, it's part of, of culture, you know, and then certainly a couple of decades ago, many of the films that were coming out of America and so on always had the Germans as a kind of evil, um, uh, Nazi-esque officers. Nazis. I hate these guys. Put down the gun and give me my detonators. Well, well, well. Hans. In uh, that sense, so there's really that perception that Germany was a villain and... Uh, in order to get rid of that role, they had to try very hard not to project this kind of impression anymore. And I think that's the reason why there was a huge reluctance to get involved into any military conflict, because um, there was a thinking that, well, we sent our armies across the continent at least twice, and look where that got us, and look where it got Europe. So maybe it's better for the Germans to stay out of these things and let the others deal with it. But I think it's also a matter of development that has you know, develop its own comforts for the Germans because having that reluctance to send troops abroad meant also that you had fewer body bugs coming back home. So you didn't have to make the sacrifices that perhaps other nations did when they in- intervened in-, in crises abroad. And it also meant that some of the money could be spent on other things, such as the social welfare state. So again, I think it is a, a matter of socialization, I think upbringing, identity, all these factors coming together that, that informs this attitude. And that is really something that is ever present, as I said, because it is part of many. If, if you listen to the speeches given by German politicians, normally uh, there's always a reference to the, the, the crimes of Germany, the atrocities that Germany had committed in the past and how this should be uh, informing our policy today. And I think that is something that's very strongly ingrained in the Germans. So... There is this aversion to military conflict that comes from Germany's history during World War II and and a commitment to not wanting to repeat the same mistakes. But in this context, in the context of the Ukraine war, there's also this added layer of Germany's ties to Russia, right? Can you tell me about Germany's relationship to Russia and how that might have initially prevented Germany from wanting to support Ukraine militarily? Yeah, I think that's that's a very important point to look at. Um, because Germany's reluctance to support Ukraine and to really um, take take a more proactive role in, in the conflict is partly due to this kind of anti-militarist notion. But I think the other one is, like, like you said, the relationship with Russia. And Germany did see itself for a long time as a bridge in between the West and Russia. And I think that's a notion that dates back to uh, Willy Brandt, uh, who was a chancellor that introduced Ostpolitik in the 1960s and 1970s. And the thinking was essentially the closer Germany got with the Soviet Union or in Russia, the more exchange, whether it's being on the social level or on, on, in economic terms, uh, occurred, 
the more Russia would be moving towards more democracy, to, towards a better respect for human rights, uh, the rule of law. And this is a notion that has, has been underpinning German foreign policy towards Russia, really, um, up until certainly 2014 and the first invasion of Ukraine with the occupation of Crimea. But then really up until last year um, and, and the other uh, occupation. And, and then I think the other thing to, to remember, like some parts of Germany have a quite different experience from the West and that, you know, parts of, of Germany, East Germany, were part of the Soviet uh, sphere of influence during the Cold War. And I think the experience here is that, yes, the Soviet forces were the occupation forces, but people did have some interactions with uh, Russian people as well. And they did see that they were essentially humans and, and people just like anybody else. So that's not that black and white thinking that is maybe prevalent in the West, where the enemy is always the Soviet Union and where the Russians are always seen quite skeptically. But I think in, in the German case, there are more shades of grey. 18 years after German reunification, the wall that once divided the country in two has all but vanished. But here in eastern Berlin, memories of the former communist state remain vivid, and in this local pub can even still be seen. We tend to associate East Germany with the Berlin Wall, barbed wire and the Stasi. But socially, the state had a lot of positive aspects, which we should try to keep, such as health care or the education system. The Germans got to know the Russians the ordinary Russians. And I think that, that, you know, they drank their vodka with them and, and they shared stories. So I think that allowed them to, to build a better, more complex understanding of the Russians. And I think that might also play into the, 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 the reluctance of some of them to completely break up any contact with Russia. And then I guess right before the the Russian invasion, Germany was extremely reliant on Russia to meet its energy needs. And it also had a really high trade volume with Russia. So there were a lot of um, economic ties. Um, but since the invasion of Ukraine, we've seen Germany make a really historic shift in its foreign policy. It's committed to spending much more on its defense and um is now one of the largest suppliers of of weapons to Ukraine. So what led to that? Why have we seen this change in Germany's approach? Yeah, um, if I can just elaborate on the one point you made, and that is the very intense and intensive trade links between uh, Russia and, and Germany up until uh, February last year. And that is a consequence of change through trade. So the Germans became ever more involved with the Russians and, you know, various gas pipelines, oil pipelines are part of this, but it extends into many other uh, spheres of the economy as well. And that was the thinking that the better the Germans connect the Russians to their market, to the Western market, the more pressure would be on the Russians to, you know, play by the rules, to abide by the rules of democracy and so on. What has brought about the change, I think, is um, the realization that war is still coming back to Europe after all. So there was a thinking with the end of the Cold War Conflict had now departed from Europe. We did have uh, wars in the Balkans, but that was on a, on a smaller scale. They didn't involve the Soviet Union, a former superpower and a nuclear power. With um, the invasion of Ukraine, with war being basically at the doorsteps of NATO again, that perception has changed. And I think the other thing is also a disappointment in Russia, because uh, like I said, the Germans did hope that change was possible, that Russia could join the common European house, could 
proactively engage in uh, cooperation in, in Europe. And I think uh, Putin's, Putin's war in Ukraine shattered all these hopes and really discredited the policies that Germany had been conducting towards Russia for 50 years. And I think the Germans are now struggling hard to come up with a new policy. To some extent, you know, there's a German word that I think captures it quite well. It's, it's a word of angst. And I think that is underpinning also some of the decisions that German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has made or has not made. Because I do believe that um, he and some in the German leadership are quite concerned that there's a chance that the conflict escalates and possibly even towards the nuclear threshold. And I think that that explains some of the policies as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something that people in Germany who are opposed to sending weapons to Ukraine, that's a point that they'll bring up, right? Um, there are polls that show uh Somewhat of a majority of Germans support the government's move to send military aid to Ukraine, but there has been some resistance. As the Munich Security Conference continues, thousands of demonstrators gathered across the city as part of various anti-war protests. Anti-NATO protesters, pacifists of various backgrounds or pro-Kurdish supporters shouted their slogans. Even more people have signed a petition to stop any more supplying of weapons. How controversial is Germany's policy at this point domestically? I think the support for Ukraine is something that's very uncontroversial in in the majority of the population. The way how to end the conflict, however, I think is, is a bone of contention. And as you mentioned, there are people who are advocating for not supplying uh, military equipment to Ukraine, who say that the way of diplomacy should be worked, that there should be a diplomatic solution. Um, I I don't think that's in any way a majority opinion at the time. Just to flesh out that argument for people who may not be familiar with it, this petition, um, it argues that delivering more weapons, it could make Germany party to the war, it could risk NATO involvement in a potential nuclear conflict. And It argues that Germany has a quote-unquote historic responsibility to avoid this. I'm curious, who makes up that small opposition uh, to this shift in strategy right now? Um, I think, um, without being an expert in in, in this at all, but my perception is that it comes really from very various walks of life. If you look at the movement, if you like, as such, I think there are people that have been losing trust in the government over the course of the past couple of years, whether it's got to do with corona or covid or other issues and then there are people that are coming from the the peace movement pacifists and then there are people i think that still struggle to you know come to terms with the reality of german russian relations nowadays that still hope that there's a way back to a more amicable relationship with russia for the last year we've seen Germany committing to helping Ukraine, committing to spending more money on its military. So do you think this signifies a more permanent change in the culture and attitudes around German views around militarization and uh, military strength? Um, I think it's difficult to tell where this is heading, but I think what we can see is now an acceptance and acknowledgement uh, throughout the major political parties that more attention has to be paid to Germany's military capacities. But that's a long road. I mean, old habits are hard to kill. And I think there's still a lot of fighting about how exactly this should be going, where exactly we're going with this, how much money exactly should be dedicated to this and that. The military, the Bundeswehr, the German army, 
has always been an afterthought in many ways because it was just considered that this is really a thing of the past and not something we need to deal with too much. And I think that the war in Ukraine really has changed that perception for sure. Bernhardt, thank you so much for, for your time and all of your insight. This was great. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our producer is Joyta Shangupta and our sound designer is Graham McDonald. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing is Foreign is Nick McKay-Blokos. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.